So Father, uh, we start our service this morning knowing that we have a reason for hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. Uh, We start our service knowing that apart from Christ, we would have no peace. And so uh, these aren't the days where we are just going to celebrate empty traditions, but Father, instead we are going to celebrate who you are and uh, what it is you've done for us. So Lord, help us to do that well today. I do pray right now for the one who might be with us who doesn't know Christ as the light of the world, the one who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, the one who is still trying to find peace with God through other ways. Lord, would you open their eyes even in our time together today? For it's in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, take your Bibles. Go to Hebrews with me. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to tell you all something you already know. That's usually a good place to start. I tend to talk really fast. Anybody else notice that? Ever? Ever? Amen. I see that hand. I'm going to count those. Okay, I see that hand. Um, It is a lifelong affliction (laughs) uh, that you think it's bad for you. It's really bad when I am in a foreign country teaching a class and have to use an interpreter. My poor interpreters over the years um, have earned their pay. So there's a number. When I was um, in Ukraine, uh, I had a young lady named Vika who was my interpreter for the week in a class that I taught. And uh, by the end, we had a system figured out uh, at the beginning, I think I sent her home in tears a couple of times. Uh, in China, uh, my, probably my favorite interpreter I've ever had in, in using an interpreter, his, name, his English name was River. I don't know what his actual Chinese name was. Um, but he had a gift where a good interpreter, a good translator in a language, will actually mimic the actual speaker. So if I was talking to this group that was before me, and I would say, you know, and it's really an exciting thing, he would translate it in the language with the same hand motions so that people felt like they were, they were connecting with it. Um, we had a group of Japanese students come to our church in Illinois at one point through a, a relationship that we had with them, and uh, they brought their little system so they could listen, and somebody would sit in the back and translate what I said, but I wasn't stopping allowing him to catch up because I was just preaching. So when it was all said and done, he came up to me and said, first page, no problem. Rest of message, gone. (laughs) Actually, that's how I feel often, too, so it's okay. The reason you use a translator or an interpreter is so that your message is carried to the people you intend to deliver the message to. And if I desperately want you to understand what it is that I am saying, I am going to do everything in my power to get that to translate to you. So so that means um, if you are deaf, I will learn sign language. If you are French, I will learn French. If you're a Ravens fan, I will learn to cry with you. Oh, wow. You guys win a game and all of a sudden you get a cut like, ooh, Uh, For my children, many times the most appropriate way for me to communicate to them something that was really important to them, 
and I needed them to know, wasn't to speak louder, although I have that gift too. It was to get down, eyeball to eyeball, listen. Daddy needs you to get this. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. See, What we find when you do just a quick, brief reading of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, is that there is a huge problem. Huge problem. Between God and man, there exists this insurmountable gap, this this chasm that, that can't be overcome. Because on one side, you have God in his supreme and relentless holiness. And on the other side, you have man in his extreme, perpetual sinfulness. And because of that, that that chasm, that that gap that exists, that separation between God and man is is insurmountable from man's perspective. And, and, And actually, as you read through the Old Testament, you see it spoken of by God himself, or demonstrated in the way that the people of the Old Testament had to live. You see, uh, uh, um, you, you know the story of the Exodus as Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and it says that God leads them, God goes before them, and he comes in a fiery pillar or a, a, a pillar of smoke, and, and he leads his people. That, that pillar itself is his glory. That's, that's his presence, his glory, his holiness right there in front of them, leading them wherever they go. And when you come into contact with his glory throughout the Old Testament, Things happen. So the Egyptian army, as they're pursuing the Israelites and are following this this glory of God, the glory of God comes between them and the Egyptians start running all over the place because they're so confused. You get to Exodus chapter 19 and the glory of God comes upon the top of Mount Sinai and Moses has to go up and have this this one-on-one meeting with God himself and his glory on the top of Mount Sinai and God says, do not permit any man or woman to even touch the mountain when the glory of God rests upon it, because if they even touch the mountain, they will surely die. You have the glory of God making uh, his presence known uh, when the, the, the new temple is built by Solomon. And it says the, the glory of God descends into the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, and the priests who are busy about their work suddenly fall down. You see it not only in the glory of God, you see it in his, 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 his holy things. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, you get 2 Samuel chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, right in there. David wants to return the ark back home. 
And they go get the ark and they put it on top of this cart and the oxen are pulling the cart and things are going great and the, the people who are in front of the cart, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a walking party. It, it's like a parade on steroids. They're jumping around. Ooh, this is amazing. God's coming back home. This is the ark of God. Here it comes. His holy things are in it. Here it comes. And the, the oxen, I don't know how oxen walk. I was just doing this. I guess that's how oxen walk. The oxen are tugging the ark and, and Uzzah is walking beside the ark on the cart, and, and one, of the, one of the oxen stumbles. I don't know how that works either, okay? But it stumbles, and when it stumbles, there's a little bit of a, a bump in the cart that is pulling the ark, and the ark begins to tip just a little bit. And Uzzah, just being super cautious, right? Don't want anything to happen to the ark of God, and so he reaches out to steady the ark of God. That's all he's doing. He's not trying to usurp anybody's authority. He's not trying to take the ark for himself. He's not trying to disrespect God in any way. He just sees the ark about to fall, and he reaches out and touches it and dies. Why? Because God left clear instructions that is holy, and not anybody can just touch it. You see it again happen uh, with the, the sacrificial system. You see the Holy of Holies being this place that is at the inner sanctum of the, the tabernacle, the inner sanctum of the temple where people are to bring their offerings every day for their sins. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, the high priest is permitted to go through all of this process to make sure he is cleansed, both both, both morally and ceremonially, and, and, and so many different ways. He, he, he wears the basic necessities, and, and it talks about the robe that he wears as he goes into the Holy of Holies just once a year. Once a year, he's allowed into the very presence of God who is in the Holy of Holies. The clothing that he wears is marked by also not just being very plain, but having bells around the hem. Jewish history or tradition says that as the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies on that day of atonement, there would be a rope tied around his waist. So as he entered and he brought that sacrifice, as long as they heard the bells continuing to jingle, everything's okay. But should he have entered immorally, should he have entered without going through the appropriate cleansing, should he have entered without making sure that his things were together and he followed the perfect order that God had laid out for him, as he comes into God's presence, should he come in impure or unclean, those bells would stop jangling because God would strike him dead. And the rope was meant to pull him out just in case. You see this continued theme in the Old Testament, how God is holy and supreme and glorious. And man is anything but. So as you read through the Old Testament, what you find is God calling prophets to proclaim just that. God is awesome, you are not. So be warned be invited into a relationship with him, but it comes through this avenue. God pursued his people through the mouths of these prophets. So, so what is a prophet? A prophet is a person who reveals God's messages to others. God is a, uh, sorry, prophet is a man who speaks the truth which comes from God. So, so you've got Moses who actually speaks and does the, what we would consider the traditional approach of the prophets. Then you, you've got men like Joseph or Daniel who interpret dreams that God has sent into the lives of other people to Proclaim what God's message was. But, but what our author today says to us is, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times 
and in different ways. What he's saying is our daddies and granddaddies and great-great-granddaddies and all, all of those ancestors that we have, they got to hear from the prophets the very message of God. And, and, and here's the point. There were a lot of prophets. I mean, you just count the, the most basic prophets throughout the Old Testament, you come up with more than 60 there's far more than that even in, in, in throughout Scripture. You, you've got prophets like Moses who communicated to Pharaoh. You've got Samuel who was the prophet at the time of the establishment of the dynasty uh, or the monarchy there in, in Israel. You've got Nathan who was David's prophet, right? Nathan was the one who told David that, that he would not build the temple, but instead David's son Solomon would build the temple. Nathan was that prophet who came to David and confronted him about his sin. Elijah boldly proclaiming the message of God in the evil time of King Ahab. Jonah, the reluctant prophet. Isaiah, the most quoted prophet in the New Testament, Isaiah. Jeremiah, speaking for God as the kingdom fell and had exactly nobody respond to his message. So there's a pastor that I never want to be called to. I'm not leaving. That wasn't it. Just Daniel interpreted the dreams of the Babylonian dynasty. Ezekiel, in the second wave of the exile, preached God's message of judgment on God's people. You got the, the minor prophets, where some of my favorite books of the Bible are found Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. We've already mentioned Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I passed Bible class. But you get to Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, who calls his people to obedience, and then he is the last one heard from as he points to the coming Messiah. And our author this morning says, listen, you've got to understand, God wanted you to hear his message. He's awesome. You're not. Repent. my favorite part about this is it's not just different prophets and many different prophets. It's also many different ways. I think for too many people, even as they consider what church is, they consider church is this time where you come and you sit and you stare at the back of somebody else's head while somebody yells at you. True. But it's greater than that. We don't, we don't all learn the same way. We learn in many different ways. And God was very clear that he was going to use every mechanism at his disposal to communicate that message that was so super important to his people. And so he communicated through Moses and the 10 plagues. Pharaoh, you've got to let God's people go. He's going to act. You, you, you go to my favorite book of the Bible, Habakkuk, and you have this discussion between Habakkuk the prophet and God, and it turns into this argument. And Habakkuk is arguing with God out loud, and here's the part God answers which I am thankful doesn't happen, or else there'd be a lot of weird conversations in my truck on the way home. But it's not just that. He also communicates through a prophet named Hosea. God's intended message was to communicate to God's people Israel how faithful God had proven himself to his people and how unfaithful his people had acted in return. Now, he could have just had Hosea stand up and preach that, right? But as our author says, many different ways. What he chose to do instead was say, Hosea, your entire life is going to preach this message. So what I want you to do, Hosea, is I want you to get married. 
And Jose was probably like, sweet. Her name's Gomer. Not so cool. Worse than that, she's a prostitute. And what's going to happen is she's going to leave you and cheat on you. And you're going to pursue her. And you're going to find her and you're going to repurchase her again. And when you find her, your heart's going to be crushed because what you're going to find is she is saying thank you to this man over here who has done nothing for her. She's saying thank you for all the things that you've done for her. She's thanking him. Hosea, your entire life is going to preach the message that I have done great things for my children and they've been unfaithful. Many different ways. You've got Isaiah and the most popular prophecy of Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 6 as Isaiah looks up and he sees angels from heaven and they've got six wings and two cover their eyes and two cover their mouth and two cover their feet and they're crying out holy 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 we know that one right but God also commanded Isaiah in chapter 20 to um, walk around naked for three years you guys freaked out when I asked if you put pants on a couple weeks ago Isaiah, I want you to walk around naked for three years. So what's going to happen is that is going to be a message of my judgment upon Egypt because they are going to be overthrown and their shame is going to be seen by all. Many different ways. Many different ways. Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah leads the, a bunch of leaders out to a field and he's got a clay pot with him. And he says, let me tell you what's about to happen. God is going to judge you for your unfaithfulness. He's going to shatter you like I do this pot. And he takes the pot and <laughs> into a billion pieces. See, God's using many different ways to communicate his message. But, but here's one. <laughs> so different translations of the Bible really open your eyes sometimes. So this week in preparation, I was like, well, I've heard this story in Jeremiah 13, but I've actually never read it in the Christian Standard Bible. So let me, let me read this to you. I found a new life verse, for those of you wondering. But let me, let me read this to you. Jeremiah chapter 13, it says this. This is what the Lord has said to me, Jeremiah. Go and buy yourself linen underwear and put it on. Okay, here's my new life verse. So I bought underwear as the Lord instructed me and put it on. Anybody looking for a new tattoo to get? I think that's it right there. Okay, so let's continue. So I bought the underwear. Like I'm, It's God's word, I'm telling you. Many different ways. The word of the Lord came to me a second time and said, Now, take the underwear you bought and are wearing and go at once to the Euphrates and hide it in a rocky crevice. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, just as the Lord commanded me to. A long time later. The Lord said to me, go at once to the Euphrates. Get the underwear that I commanded you to hide there. So I went to the Euphrates. I dug up the underwear that I got from the place that I had hidden it. But alas, it was ruined. You don't say. The Lord said, this, this is the message I want you. The message is not, hey, kids, go hide your underwear in the backyard. That's not what the, the message is, okay? The message is God saying, just as I have taken you as my people, it kept you as near and intimate to me as I possibly could. I need to bring judgment into your life because of your rebellion. Many different ways. And you think that's weird. You read the book of Ezekiel. Anybody read Ezekiel lately? Holy buckets. That thing's like, I think Ezekiel's had a, a few issues in his life. Uh, chapter 4, God tells him to take a brick and draw on it the, uh, an image of the city of Jerusalem, 
and I want you to take that brick and put it down, and then I want you to besiege it. I want you to build uh, ramparts against it. I want you to surround it. So it's almost like a little kid playing out in the, the sandbox. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take an iron uh, plate and put it between you and Jerusalem, picturing the besieging that is going to happen to them sometime. And then I want you to lay down on your left side for 390 days facing it. <laughs> that sounds fun. Oh, okay, after 390 days, I want you to switch and lay on your right side for another 40 days. And while you're lying there, I want to make sure you eat. So you're going to eat like the people of Jerusalem are going to eat when they are being besieged in this great judgment that I'm going to bring upon them. So what I want you to do is I want you to take all these different um, ingredients, and I want you to make yourself a, a thing of bread, and I want you to cook your bread. And I want you to cook your bread over human waste. And Ezekiel at that moment says, hold on. God, I have never defiled myself. Please, not that. And God says, all right, you can cook it over cow dung. And Ezekiel's like, sweet. Um, I think Ezekiel needs some classes in how to barter. Um, but then chapter five, he says, what I want you to do is I take a sword and I want you to shave all your hair off. And I want you to take a third of your hair and I want you to burn it. And take a third of your hair, and I want you to go into the city, and I want you to scatter it, and then chase at it with your sword. And then I'll take your other third and just toss it in the wind. Now take a couple of those hairs from each of those and sew them into your garment, okay? I, I, I like the way I preach instead of having to do all that. I mean, for those of us, when we look at this, and we're like, I don't understand this. Well, sometimes God needs to use the strange and the unusual to shock them into listening. Now that I can identify with. Sometimes God needs to wake people up because they weren't listening anymore. It's the same old, same old. Oh, oh, you know what? You are, 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 are not awesome, but you keep thinking you're awesome. And God is so wonderful. Wouldn't you just come to him? I'm sick and tired of listening to preachers stand before churches and like, would, would you please, please, please just come to Jesus? I don't need to beg you to come to Jesus. You should understand who it is. You should run. But our ears have become deaf because we hear the message over and over and over again. God's trying to communicate that he is faithful, that he has been abundantly compassionate and merciful to his people. But his people continue to choose to rebel against him and they continue to give the honor and worship that is he only alone deserves. You're giving it to somebody else. And if you don't repent, God is going to bring judgment. I mean, ultimately, God's message throughout the whole Old Testament was, guys, we have a problem. You and I are so vastly different, me and my supreme exalted holiness in you, in your extreme willingness to be a fool and run towards sin. This is huge gulf between us. The problem is so bad between us that you cannot come into my presence. The message continues today. You cannot come into my presence until I come into yours. God communicated to us, to us in a way we could hear, we could understand, we could respond to, verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. 
appointed as an heir over all things, made the universe through him. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God came into our presence. God showed up. That's that word Emmanuel we were just singing. God with us. God showed up, and he showed up so that we could know him and we could draw near to him. In his son, Jesus Christ, we, we actually see God himself. It, it says that in, in John chapter 14, verse 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. Or, or Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus Christ, we see God himself. In Jesus Christ, he is the creator of the universe. Through him, all things were made, John chapter 1 tells us. He is the sustainer of all created things. That means he is holding together every galaxy, every star, every human. Should God stop sustaining you, you would cease to exist. We see the exact character of God. We see the full glory of God. Think about that. Old Testament. Glory. Stay off the mountain. Stay out of the Holy of Holies. Stay away from him. To come into his glorious holy presence is to bring certain death upon yourself. But here in Jesus Christ, we see the radiant expression of God's glory. The full glory of God is laid out before us and it doesn't consume us in our sin. Why? John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why are we not consumed in Jesus' presence? Because of that last phrase, because he is full of grace and truth. He is full of graciousness towards us sinners without compromising God's truth. And that is incredibly good news, because God could have come as judge and executioner. And if he did, we'd all be found guilty sentenced to everlasting punishment. But instead, it says the word of God came flesh to be gracious to us, and that grace leads directly to the cross of Christ. Sin dirties us in the sight of God, and we desperately need to be cleansed. And God's appointed way of cleansing is through the shedding of blood by the sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the priests would come and they would sprinkle the blood of a spotless lamb on the altar and that, that symbolized that the, the blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. But the blood of an imperfect animal can never bring the cleansing you and I need. And you know that when you look at the Old Testament priests who every day had to bring the same sacrifices over and over over and over again. How could you ever pay for the sins you've committed? How could you ever pay for the sins you've committed? You can't. Only Jesus can. And he did. He lived the perfect life that you can't possibly live. He obeyed God on every step of the way. And, and, and when he reached the end, he obeyed to even the point of death on the cross. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus set aside all his rights as God. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. Guys, Jesus didn't die because 
he was sinful. Jesus died because we are sinful. We are stained. He was spotless. God himself showed up to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to give us a right standing with God. So the miracle here isn't necessarily simply that that God speaks to us through his son. The miracle is that the message that God speaks to us through his son is so needed and so available. God came near so that we could draw near to him. Through Jesus Christ, God was reconciling us to himself. He was setting us free from the sin that holds us. Through Jesus Christ, what God did you've got to get this. You can't make that leap yourself. Christ came to build the bridge for you. He walked across it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? I'm going to pray. There is no question in my mind this morning that with the number of people that we have here, that there are people who have never asked for God's mercy. Who've never asked for Jesus' sacrifice to be applied to your account. So in just a moment, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. But I think it's important. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. Where you sit. Maybe... Maybe in the silence of your heart, maybe just just reflecting on what I am saying. You, you can pray it under your breath. You can just repeat my words in your mind if you need. But what Jesus Christ came to do was not simply be a cute little baby in a manger. He didn't come so that we could exchange Christmas gifts. He didn't come so we could give each other stockings. He came to give you life. And if you are here this morning and you've not accepted that gift of life, then this morning I'm going to pray this prayer. And if, if that's you and you long to understand what it means, you long to come into his presence, you long to accept his gift of forgiveness, then I'm going to encourage you to pray along with me. And this is it. It's very simple. Jesus, I want to experience your mercy today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins and that he rose again from the dead. I believe in Christ all of my sins have been forgiven. And that right now, he sits in his rightful place as king. God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm asking you to apply Jesus' payment to my account. To forgive me of my sins, to be my savior, to be my rescuer right now. Lord, I pray for the one who may have just prayed that prayer that you would give them great encouragement. Give them the boldness to come to one of us and speak to us after the service. And I pray for those of us who have known you for a long time. 
There's no question that many of us tend to grow stale. So I pray that in this moment, as we reflect on the message of Christ, the work of Christ, Father, that we would make him our all in all, that we would fix our eyes on him and be reminded of the great rescue that we've experienced. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his matchless name I pray. Amen.